This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to New Books in History, a channel on the New Books Network. I'm Yana Byers, your host, and I'm here today with Taylor McCall, Managing Editor of Speculum, the Journal of the Medieval Academy of America, to talk about her new book, The Art of Anatomy in Medieval Europe, out this year, 2023, with Reaction Books. Hey, Taylor, how are you? Thanks. How are you? Great. Thanks so much for joining me. Um, Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk. So tell me about uh, what you do with Speculum. So I am the managing editor of the journal. Um, It's a really kind of broad interdisciplinary journal. So we publish um, long form articles um, on a huge variety of subjects all relating to the medieval period. And, um, and then of course, a lot of book reviews. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's really, I, I oversee, uh, the whole production schedule, um, and, um, you know, back and forth with our publisher, which is University of Chicago Press. Um, and yeah, just making sure each issue comes together, which is for a year. So it's a lot, <laughs> but, uh, but it's great. It's really super interesting work. It sounds like wonderful work and it's important work, but yeah, that sounds like hurting a lot of cats. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. (laughs) All right. So uh, let's just jump in. And our first task is to place this in your intellectual world. So can you tell me how you came to be interested in medieval anatomy and how you came to write the book? Yes. Um, So I um, started to be interested in medieval anatomy as early as um, when I was an undergraduate. Um, I was at the University of Virginia, had a really wonderful mentor in the art history department who um, his own work focuses on Carolingian scientific manuscripts. So uh, earlier, but um, he kind of got me very interested in scientific manuscripts, which is not something I had thought about a lot And I realized that there were a lot of images, you know, associated with specifically medical texts that um, just really haven't received a lot of attention from art historians or historians in general. Um, So that was kind of the initial prod into the area. And he really encouraged me to go further with my research and and go get a master's degree. So 
Um, I went to London to the Courtauld Institute of Art and did my master's there. And um, that was when I first started specifically focusing on anatomical images. Um, and I realized when I was doing that thesis that there was more work to be done. And so um, was lucky enough to go to Cambridge and uh, do my, my PhD there. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just, it continues to be a, a really fruitful field. And, um, and so the book that I, I wanted to write initially was something that would be really accessible to a lot of different people. Um, you know, I could certainly have written something more in line with my dissertation, which was very, uh, of course, academic and, you know, <laughs> full of lots of footnotes. Um, but reaction gave me the opportunity to write something that, um, you know, would appeal to a lot of different people and to undergraduates as well as hopefully graduates and beyond. And then of course, just educated general audiences. Um, so, uh, so that was kind of, you know, the, the route I decided to take and I'm super happy with, with the outcome. Yeah, you should be, um, you know, that's one of the things reaction does really well. A mission accomplished in this case. It's a really readable book, but it's very smart. Um, and listeners, this is a book you want to look at. The illustrations are fantastic. And I mean that in every way. Some of them are indeed fantastic. And then some are so precise and interesting. It's just very, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful text. So you want to look at this. Um, and there is a link for you in uh, our website. So you can you can go through and check it out. Um, but yeah, Mission Accomplished there. It is a really, really lovely book. Um, and um, I'm, I, I love it though. And I, I'm glad you, you know, you talked about how you just started seeing these images and really moved to them. But I, what, I think there's a question there of what actually constitutes a medieval anatomical diagram. What is <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that I, you know, I, I talked to talk about a little bit, uh, in the introduction to the book. Um, you know, the, the kind of the concept of anatomy, I think um, is so broad. It could encompass um, any any images of the body, um, including those that were made in a non medical you know setting, something like that. Um, you know, a lot of the art history work on anatomy focuses on Renaissance bodies where there's a, a you know much more um, a kind of detailed understanding of the. Um, you know, the actual internal parts of the human body. Um, and in the medieval period, what's interesting is that the there are images that were created before they were dissecting human bodies. So the earliest images in my book are pre-scientific, um, scientific, quote unquote, <laughs> uh, human dissection. Um, and then what is really interesting to trace for me was kind of the then we see in the, the late medieval period around 1300, uh, the beginnings of scientific human dissection and kind of how those explorations affected the creation of imagery. Um, and so my the way I, I narrowed my focus was by focusing on specifically images that are attached to medical or anatomical texts. Um, because I think otherwise you can get a little too broad. Um, and, um, I'm, I'm certainly interested in all different types of, of views of the body, but, um, the images for me that are, that are anatomical in this book are those that are 
being created around these circles of learning um, where people are really trying to delve into the understanding of, you know, how the body works and how it's put together. Yeah. I mean, so there's just a sort of book from which this comes, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, they are almost totally all manuscript images. I, I did a few, comp, you know, comparisons with some paintings or sculpture, but, um, but they are, yeah, they're images that were created by, um, and now this is, a, you know, of course, a sign of the medieval period, but they were all men. Um, most of them, you know, initially were monks, and then they were um, men who were studying to be um, professional physicians or studying to be um, professors of anatomy or, or whatever it was, um, who were, you know, interested in, in the texts as well as the images and why the images were interesting and why why we don't have more of them, frankly, because there are, there, there are very, very few of these images. Yeah. And they come from actually a relatively kind of condensed period of time, right? When do we start seeing them? Right. Around... Yeah. So, yeah, so the, the earliest images were produced. Um, they're actually in a manuscript that's dated, which is really nice because that doesn't happen all the time. Um, but 1165, yeah, 1165 um, in Bavaria, uh, a little monastery in Bavaria, um, is where we, we see the first uh, anatomical images. And um, and then they, you know, kind of follow a pattern in Western Europe. Um, we see them mostly in Italy, but also in, in England, um, a, you know, a few in France and, um, and then more in Germany. Um, but that's really, that's kind of the, the area that they're restricted to. So not, not a huge area at all. And they go up until, you know, you, you can see the same patterns of images up until, you know, the early 16th century. All right. Um, so very much a high and late medieval kind of phenomenon. Where does this, uh, where does this knowledge first come to? Like, how does it get, how do, how do they, how do uh, these monks in Bavaria learn about this? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Um, and something that a lot of people have, have tried to think about, um, so the the most common the most the most likely um, kind of if we look at both the images as um, just sort of types of images as well as um, other patterns of knowledge um, movements in that period, um, it's most likely there they were reproductions of uh, images that were probably created sometime in late antiquity. Um, so probably sometime in in the you know the the late Roman period, um, we have you know most most medieval uh, medical images that um, that we see in the earlier period that you know make it to the monasteries um, are copies of earlier imagery. imagery. Um, so you don't really see the creation of new types of medical images until approximately the 12th, 12th century, 13th century. So um, it's, it's likely that they are copies of images that were, you know, copied and recopied. Um, uh, but of course, we just, the earliest ones that we still have are, are from the 1160s. Um, so, you know, the theory can't be completely proven, but it, it seems the most likely. And where are those images first? No, as I say, especially especially because we do have similar images that crop up uh, in the Middle East as well. They're later, but um, but it's a very similar type of diagram, um, and that points to a common, uh, you know, late antique either 
probably probably a Greek, you know, ancestor. So, yeah, probably probably a Greek ancestor was what I was kind of getting to. Um, <laughs> yeah, of course, um, not not a huge shock there, right? Um, so. You've split the book into three parts, anatomy and cosmos, anatomy and surgery, and anatomy and artists. Um, Very interesting kind of way to divide. So can you tell us uh, how you made this choice and why you organized the book thus? Yeah, it's, um, you know, the original kind of um, concept was to focus really specifically on the makers, the different people who who made these images, um, especially because the the reaction series that the book is part of is the Medieval Lives series. So um, a lot of the books in the series are on specific medieval people um, and the work that they did or or their impact or, you know, authors, that kind of thing. So so I wanted it to fit in with that. um, But I found that that was a little bit too restrictive. Um, So I I decided to to make it a little bit broader. and, and just focus on kind of the, what I would say is generally, um, you know, generally chronological. So it starts out, um, the cosmos, what I mean by that is kind of um, the, the interaction of anatomy with, with the heavens, um, and that includes um, spiritually. So um, the first chapter is, is anatomy in the monastery, which is, of course, the first time that we see anatomical images um, and exactly what you're saying. You know, why were these images important to monks in Bavaria in, in the 1160s? Um, so that is something that I, of course, find very interesting as well and um, and get into. And uh, another big you know, aspect of medical practice in the Middle Ages was um, the connection to the zodiac um, and and the heavens. So the body, each part of the body was connected to a specific zodiac sign and um, a significant portion of um, everyday medical care was uh, bloodletting. Um, so, you know, drawing blood from specific points on the body to um, mostly to, uh, you know, if someone had a fever, if they had some kind of illness, um, their physician would compute uh, based on their, their, their own zodiac sign and, and different circumstances around their birth, um, the best places to bloodlet from, you know, from, from their bodies. And uh, very importantly, when not to, um, because uh, that they believe that, you know, if you, bled a certain part at a certain time of the month, then you could bleed out and die. So, um, so that was a big part of, um, you know, uh, of understanding, uh, medicine and, uh, and the, uh, the, um, images that accompany those, um, writings are really interesting. They kind of directly link organs in the body to, uh, different planets or, or zodiac signs. Um, so those are, are fun images to look at. Um, yeah. And then the second part is the surgeons. Um, so they, the educated surgeons are the ones who, um, really kind of initiated and pushed for, uh, anatomy to be part of medical curricula. Um, this is mostly in Italy, um, in the late, 13th, early 14th centuries. Um, and this is the first time that we also see them dissecting human corpses, um, as part of their, you know, uh, 
teachings and learnings on anatomy. Um, it was a very rare practice. It was not something that occurred very often. It did not spread to the rest of Europe until well into the 15th century. Um, did not become part of uh, medical curricula, especially in Northern Europe, until the late 15th century. Um, but it began in Bologna, um, uh, you know, around 1300. And um, so that's that's the, the role that the surgeons played. They were kind of the, the earliest, um, you know, professors of anatomy, basically. Um, and some of them created images to accompany their works, which were the first the first time that we see new anatomical images, you know, original anatomical images created um, ever, you know, the, this is a, you know, the first time that anyone that we know of has, has actually set out to um, draw the inside of the human body um, for a particular purpose. Because um, the, the earlier images are, um, you know, older copies, uh, copies of older images that, um, that we, you know, we don't know anything about the original artists. So, um, so that's kind of the the first time that we see that happening. So that, that was a logical, um, you know, second section for the book. Um, and then the third part is where we start talking about the um, impact of artists um, on, on the um, depiction of anatomy and on the study of anatomy. Um, and specifically, um, you know, how artists became involved in, both um, creating new images as well as um, helping to kind of finesse what was already there. Um, so those, these were the, the kind of um, precursors specifically to what we considered to be, you know, the famous, the most famous artist anatomist. Um, and I do get in a little bit, get into Da Vinci and to, um, you know, of course, Vesalius is kind of the, the most famous um, artist anatomist of the period. So, um, that's kind of all included in, in that section. So, so yeah, and it it feels, um, it, it, it really feels like it, um, it covers the whole period, uh, and it, and it gives us this frame to look at and like what the purpose of these, which is a question I want to get to eventually. But, um, I mean, first, like just to step back a second, what are these monks doing with the anatomical diagrams? (laughs) So, um, you know, the, I think that the, the kind of feeling that we have today as contemporary viewers, that there is a clear divide between science and religion, um, you know, at least for most people, um, there are scientific facts and then there are religious beliefs. Um, but that, that was not any kind of concept that existed in this period. So, um, for, you know, according to, to what I have understood, what I, you know, have read and, um, in my own research, what I think is the most likely, um, reason why these monks included anatomical images in, um, you know, the first time they come up, it's in a book of otherwise, you know, mostly religious materials, um, was that there was no sort of thought that, you know, oh, these images are, you know, science, which is just very distinctive from our, our belief system. Um, everything was created by God. There was a reason why everything, you know, why, why, why our bodies operated the way they did. And there was a way to, connect every single aspect of our physical selves with our spiritual selves. So, um, so by showing, um, you know, the, the way the bones fit together or the way the, the veins ran through the body, um, these diagrams were, were meant to be kind of, were meant to help a monk 
um, understand his physical self in relation to, um, you know, God's grand plan and, and his connection, your connection as, as your own body, your own self to, um, the movement of the cosmos and the movement of, of the planets and the stars and, um, and, you know, your place within the universe essentially. Right. Yeah. Okay. So then it's, it's didactic. It's about the whole world. It's a reminder yeah, exactly. of the beauty of creation and how you fit in yeah. that. Yeah. 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 Exactly. But then when we get to dissection, um, mm-hmm. these are also, I mean, they're manuals that are teaching you how to do it as well, right? Mm-hmm. How yes. to do dissection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because the the earliest anatomical um, manuals that were created by, um, you know, men that we know were dissecting um, corpses yeah, we're, we're set up as kind of a step-by-step. This is the first thing you should do this is the second thing you should do. This is what you will see when you, you know, when you, you know, cut into the abdomen and um, that kind of thing. So it's um, yeah, that, that was definitely more for, um, for training purposes. You know, they, they considered the surgeons that were performing these dissections were doing so because they felt that it would help, um, their students to see, um, you know, for their own medical treatments, you know, what, what's going on underneath the surface. And they believed that that was a really important part of, of becoming, um, a surgeon or a physician, um, was to know, you know, what, what was underneath the skin. Um, so it, you know, the, the actual text says so that, you know, the physician might not accidentally err, you know, might, might not accidentally mess up. Um, and, uh, so, um, you know, be able to, to know what organs were where and, you know, where you should cut, where you shouldn't cut that kind of thing. Um, if you had to do some sort of procedure. So this episode is brought to you by sax.com. At Saks.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. So yeah. teaching teachers, teaching surgeons, um, and then you know, and providing something, um, a really important manual in a time when dissected bodies were rare. Yeah. Yes. Getting yeah, bodies. exactly. Yeah. So, so, you know, the, the most famous of these surgeons um, was, was um, someone called Mondino de Luzzi, and he did not include images in his, with his anatomical text. Um, but his contemporary, um, Henri de Monville, he did include images um, and, um, you know, just described his decision to include images as helping his readers um, because, you know, basically because he knew that dissection was so rare and he wanted his students to be able to see what he had seen, basically. Um, now, the images are <laughs> they're really not very um detailed. So, um, it's not, you know, it's not meant to, um, directly reveal exactly what you would have seen, but more, you know, give, give, give a reader, you know, an idea of what was going on in, you know, within the body, um, when they couldn't access, um, dissection themselves. So, um, yeah. 
All right. This still, this made sense to me. You know, when I'm coming at this book, I'm like, oh, I'm looking at the, ta- the table of contents before I start. I'm like, cool, that makes sense. And then I'm like, huh. And the third section kind of gave me pause, right? And then when I got to um, the section about courtly anatomy, I I was utterly baffled. And I had no idea what I would get. And it was a wonderful surprise, right? Because they look like, just like every other annotated manuscript I would ever see, except where I'm used to seeing like Jesus and the saints or like lords and ladies dancing, or even, I don't know, pigs doing silly things. There's like wombs and frontal protected bodies. So interesting. What's going on there? What is this? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, (laughs) definitely some illuminators, some artists, um, some designers, you know, book designers getting creative, uh, which which is always really fun to see. So many images, you know, in medieval manuscripts are, um, you know, they followed a particular formula. There were, you know, if it was a Bible, you were probably going to see a scene that you recognized um, if you were lucky enough to be able to afford, um, you know, an illuminated book, which is a, an illustrated book. Um, but, you know, these the, the time period in which these books were created, which was 13th, 14th, 15th centuries were kind of during coincided with the rise of the middle class and um, the rise of universities in cities like Paris. Um, And there was a huge book trade um, and a, you know, huge market growing market for luxury manuscripts um, that could, you know, that were illuminated to a certain degree. And it's great to see they're rare, but it's very great to see, um, you know, that there were physicians or, or people who were just interested, um, you know, in, in learning more about medicine, um, who commissioned these, these manuscripts, um, medical manuscripts, and that the artists were able to kind of, you know, instead of, instead of some kind of fun scene of a monkey jousting with a priest um, in the margins, which, you know, you might see in a different type of book, you see um, the kidneys, you know, um, or a group of, you know, a group of students surrounding, um, you know, a bunch of, uh, you know, dissected bodies. Um, Yeah. So it's a, it's a really interesting um, part of, of the story of medieval anatomy. So, yeah, they seem and I mean, that seems so much more serious and scholarly and reasonable. Like, I'm much more interested. Why wouldn't I see a womb um, here in, instead of a pig, you know, and I'm jousting or what have you. Um, but that I was completely unexpected and really neat. The other thing. That, um, hmm? I just said, yeah, they're beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they are. They really are. I mean, that. um yeah, some of these are not. Some of them are really kind of workmanlike, but these and these manuscripts are gorgeous. Yes, yeah, lots of gold, lots of, of really deep, beautiful colors. Yeah, they're they're remarkable. Yeah, and I mean, it's a little bit later and a little bit richer than a gorgeous. So uh, the other thing that I was really taken by is uh, some of these illustrations feel like diagrams. I mean, they, they really clearly outline organs or bones or whatever it is. And then some of them are very abstract and um, are clearly I, what they're just illustrating ideas as much as anything. Um, so uh, is that about purpose? Is that this difference here? 
Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it, it's kind of, um, you know, the, the abstracted images are, are on the earlier side. Those are the images that we see, um, you know, from approximately 1200, um, in this very specific tradition. Um, and, uh, you know, for instance, they, this, you'll see an image of the female reproductive system and you, if you didn't know that's what it was, you would have no idea um, <laughs> what you were looking at. It's extremely ge- geometric, very abstracted, just a lot of, of shapes kind of put together, um, symmetrical and, and really harmonious and beautiful, but, um, but also, you know, just hard to tell what you're looking at. Um, and yeah, so those, those images are part of, you know, kind of an earlier medieval tradition of diagrams um, and reducing really complicated ideas into geometric, you know, relatively easy to understand shapes. Um, so what's interesting about something like the, the womb diagram is that it shows you not only kind of the structure of the womb, but also different types, different spots along the way of reproduction. So, um, you know, there are little captions inside the drawings and they say, you know, the semen enters here and then, you know, it fertilizes, you know, and then it, it enters here. And, um, this is where the, the fetus is formed. And, um, so it's a, a lot of different kind of ideas, um, within a single static image. Um, and, and it's interesting to see the ways in which, um, the artists, you know, came up with ways to distill this information into, um, into particular graphics. So, but yeah, as, as the, as the middle ages wears on and you get, um, you know, more into a a desire for, um, narrative images or, you know, images that tell a story or images that, um, are more, straightforward, um, not as arcane, um, then that's when we see, you know, the actual, you see a a woman, a full body, um, and then, you know, a a picture of her womb as it would appear, you know, quote unquote, as it would appear, um, if you were dissecting her. So, um, yeah, so, so, you know, diagrams that are taken outside of the context of the body that are abstracted versus, uh, this desire for a little bit more, um, naturalism. So it's a very yeah. interesting evolution. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This still leads me to wonder, you know, you're right. They're not intended to communicate a unified imperial knowledge of the makeup or processes of the interior, um, which gave me pause when I first read it. I'm like, well, then what are they for? And I think now, <laughs> what I think now at the end of the book, I do understand, but I think we should still probably make it clear. Like ex- I would still like you to explain it to me, make sure I got it right. You know, what, what are they for? What are they meant to do? So, you know, it, it, it really depends on the author. It depends on who was making the images. It depends on, you know, what the images were meant, you know, the place in, uh, that they were meant to occupy within a particular text, um, the, you know, the text that they were, were illustrating. Um, so it's, it's more of um, something where you're, you're supposed to, um, you know, have, have your own knowledge looking at these images and be able to take yourself through, uh, you know, a, a diagram um, and, and kind of take from it what, what you need to take from it, I guess. Um, it's not, it's when I say an, a unified empirical knowledge, I mean, you know, there were so many different competing ideas about, for instance, the role of the woman in reproduction. Um, 
And, you know, a big kind of debate that went on in the later Middle Ages was, you know, the role of the man, the man's seed uh, versus, you know, what what role did the woman play? <laughs> you know, was she just a passive vessel or, um, you know, did she actually have some active part in creating a fetus? Um, so, um, you know, these these debates were hashed out in classrooms and um, and a lot of what I do, you know, as an art historian, as someone who looks at images like this, is try to figure out what these images were meant to, you know, how they were supposed to interact with the kind of ideas that were going on in the classroom, um, and you know what what was important for people to portray at certain times because it always changed. Right. So sometimes it's just the basics of Galenic medicine, and sometimes it's what you need to know about your astrological sign and what organ it's. A- yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And there were, you know, um, anatomists, you know, later on, especially who took issue with things that that the, you know, kind of ancient authorities wrote. Um, you know, they said, you know, Galen was wrong about this. And he, you know, was wrong about this. And this is why I know this, because I, you know, have looked in inside a female body and seen it for myself. And um, yeah, so, you know, it, in in the period, the only way to spread knowledge was through reading and copying these texts or attending a lecture or or whatever it was. But, you know, people didn't get around as, as much as they do today. So um, things were very slow and um, very localized. Um, so it's uh, it, it was easy to, to for a text to be copied. You know, the, the early diagrams that we have, they continue to be copied because I think they were very accessible and, and easy to see you know, the, the five body, full bodied, um, versions of anatomy. And then, um, you know, the, the more arcane abstracted diagrams were more difficult to, you know, for people to understand. So we only have, you know, four copies of those, um, in 300 years. Right. So 300 years and all over the world as well, or all yeah. over Europe at least. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. Yeah. That was a really big question and I've taken up quite enough of your time already. So I just have one more super easy. What's next for you? Oh, um, well I am, um, you know, working on a lot of different things right now. I'm, I'm working on, um, an article that I've been trying to write for, you know, years and years. <laughs> Um, that I'm determined to finish, um, which is about the um, the female dissection scenes that you see in, in a couple of the manuscripts that I talk about. Um, so delving a little bit more into those. Um, and I'm also writing a um, commentary volume for a facsimile um, of, of an herbal manuscript um, that's in the British Library. It's um, Sloan 1975. It's a really, really incredible very highly illuminated um, herbal that was that was done um, approximately 1200. Um, so that's that's really fun for me to do because it's different. It's um, I haven't you know focused specifically on on herbal um, diagrams before, but um, that's so that's been a an interesting project to work on. Um, so that's that's kind of where I am right now, and um, yeah, hoping to get this article out as well. Good luck on that. I understand the projects you kind of had floating around in the back forever. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I yeah, I get that. Um, there, I saw someone suggest that we should have a conference just for the papers you never quite can finish. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I presented all this work at conferences, and you know, I keep thinking, you know, it'll magically write itself, but. <laughs> 
They never do. They, they never, never do. All right. Once again, uh, <laughs> this was, this has been a really enjoyable talk. Thanks again, Taylor McCall. Uh, this, we have just been discussing the art of anatomy in medieval Europe. Um, follow the link and check it out. All right. Thanks, Taylor. Thank you. Thanks so much.